Good afternoon. They always tell me that the afternoon talk is not the easiest one. It's because people need to sleep. <laughs> so uh, all I'm saying that if your eyes become drowsy, don't worry. <laughs> Just sleep. <laughs> if one of you is awake, well, then I'll keep on. But when you awaken, maybe it is the angel saying, this is for you. <laughs> so, so listen. I want to say a little story about fear. And I was in Chile a few years ago to share about people who are fragile and weak and have been rejected and have been seen as a disappointment and to reveal that those who are pushed away can become messengers of God. This is something extraordinary. Those who might have been seen as a punishment from God can become the messengers of God. In a way, that is the secret that we live here or try to live. In a way, it's what St. Paul says. And we read that text that God has chosen the foolish and the weak. And he goes on, those that are the most despised. And uh, Lawrence brought up that text of Jesus, blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, who have hidden these things from the wise and the clever, and revealed them to little ones. So this amazing revolution, transformation, that those who are the most rejected can become a way to God. So this story, I was in Chile and I arrived at the airport and I was meet, met by Denis, who was going to drive me to the capital. And on the way, he slowed down. He said, on the left are all the slum areas and on the right, all the rich houses protected by police and military. And then he added, nobody crosses this road. Fear. Come back to what I said this morning. What is this fear? And where is my fear? And how 
Can I prevent being guided by fear and not by the Spirit of God? So the question of fear, I mentioned that the other day, the opposite of peace is not war, it's fear. So what was, what was Francis frightened of when he met the letters, the lepers? I think we're in something which is about identity, about who am I? What is that fear of the leper? What is that fear of people with disabilities? That can be a good fear. I mean, sometimes people from local schools come here and uh, they spend an afternoon, go to the workshops or something like that, and they discover something. And in the evaluation which some of them made, they all said, many of them said, I was frightened to come to Lash. I was frightened. And there could be a good fear. How to talk with people, how to understand if they don't speak well or don't speak at all or how to communicate. So, so there's a, a fear which is, which is reasonable and which gradually can be broken down. Like we had two young ladies, I think of about 18, who was in my foyer uh, not too long ago, and they spent a weekend with us. And uh, they were always rushing around, uh, bringing in the food and taking away the food, and I said, can't you stop? Can't you talk? Can't you share together? But there's a danger, we don't know what to do. So we get into movement and we do things. It's easier to do things and accomplish things than to listen. Because something about listening is about silence to receive what you have to give me. And here we're going to touch the secret that a real encounter is where we receive the gift of the other. These two young women wanted to do things for them. We all want to do things, and it's good to do things. I'm not against generosity, I'm not against but we can go further. It's about going a little bit further. And what is that further? It's to listen. I want to come back to Francis. He made a change of identity. There was the identity of being a knight in armor and winning and being the admiration of everybody in Assisi. And then there was a time of brokenness, which few people talk about. 
And somewhere he slumped into a form of depression, touching his own brokenness. And then there's the meeting with the leper, lepers. And what he said, and he says this in his testament or will, which he wrote really nearly at the end of, end of his life. He said, when I was young and a sinner, I had lepers in repulsion. And then I felt called to be with them. And then he said, and when I left them, there was a new gentleness in my body and in my spirit. Yeah. Something has happened. A metanoia. What has happened when he says, when I left them, something had changed. A new gentleness Douceur in my body and in my spirit. I find that extraordinary. That he said that close to his death. And then he goes on and he says, And from that moment on, I wanted to serve the Lord. Or I went to follow the Lord. But it's this metanoia, this change. And in a way, it's very important to recognize change. That's why during the, there'll be little groups after. And it'll be important for each one of you in the little sharing group of what metanoia have you lived? Through meditation, what has happened? As you've gone down deeper into yourself, what has happened? Or what has happened when you came close to people who are the most rejected and you became their friend? And I said this morning that Francis, he didn't have his pockets filled with gifts or leprosy tablets. He came empty-handed. to be with those who were at the bottom, because somewhere he felt that those who were at the bottom maybe were close to our leader, who's behind me, the crucified one. So the one who is at the bottom, the pain of Jesus at the cross, the pain of humiliation. Because humiliation is something, I believe that one of the greatest pains of Jesus was not just the physical reality, which was abominable, but the friends who said, he has disappointed us. We thought that he was going to liberate us from the yoke of the Romans. He's disappointed us. We thought that he was going to liberate us. 
disappointment, humiliation. You can see this, the whole question of disappointment. I mean, we have assistants who come to Lash because they've read a book, and Lash is super until they come there. It's, it's, it's great as an ideal. It's great as an idea. You can come and listen to a beautiful conference and then say, it's super. Come and live. Come and live. Because then it's what Lawrence told us about. The fidelity to prayer. Whatever happens to be faithful. And even when you feel all things churning up to be faithful, for us it's the same thing. To be faithful when Pauline is off her rocker, you know, the violence and so on, all the rest. And it's quite easy to say that the cry of the poor, the cry of Pauline, it's our psychiatrist who said that, it's a cry for relationship. But she doesn't yet know that. A cry, does somebody love me? Does somebody want me? She had lived 40 years as somebody who was no good, had no value, pushed away, seen as debile, an idiot, stupid, and all the rest. So she had learned to live. When there is humiliation, either humiliation brings us to a point of a permanent depression, we lock up, or else anger comes up. Humiliation can bring anger, or humiliation can bring a sort of deep depression. I know I'm no good. So, Francis, something changed. You see, fears, we put walls around our hearts. We build walls. And I'll come back to a situation, a painful situation, between Israel and Palestinians, 150 kilometers of walls, eight meters high. We hear the wall that maybe Trump wants to build between Mexico and the state. Building walls, it's protecting. Because the fear, there's something about protection, defense mechanisms. We want to defend who I am. I want to defend my group. I want to pretend that we are the best. Because somewhere there's that need for recognition, for power, for whatever it is. Somewhere we want to be the best. And so we're very frightened of seeing anything that shows our flaws our brokenness, our vulnerability. Uh, I can say that living with somebody like Pauline, uh, 
we are constantly in front of our powerlessness. I lived for a year with people with very severe disabilities, and I lived with Lucia. Lucia had lived for 30 years with mum. Beautiful woman, beautiful. Lucia had a very severe disability, deeply psychological, broken. He was a bit like that, curled up. And his mother knew every grunt, every understood him. She was a beautiful woman. And there was a beautiful harmony between the two. Lucia with his very physical, psychological, deep brokenness. But mum fell ill. Lucia couldn't live alone. Mum went to hospital, they put Lucia in another hospital. The first time that he'd been separated from mum. And when there's that separation, anguish, anguish. It's important to talk about anguish. Anguish is different from fear, but though they could be are closely associated. Fear, we could be frightened of a dog, or we could be frightened of people with disabilities, or we could be frightened of a leper, take the leper away, it's okay. But anguish is something much deeper. It's existential. Who am I? Nobody wants me. I'm not loved. What is the meaning of my life? This would be the anguish of the child who is born, who cries. But nobody hears her cry. The wounded child. The child unwanted. And the cry of love becomes a huge cry of pain and a cry of anguish. Who am I? Loneliness. And that's what happened with Lucia. In the hospital, he could just scream and scream and scream. But a hospital wasn't the place for Lucia. He came to our community. And I had the privilege of living a year with him. But uh, I can say that his anguish awoke my anguish. His brokenness somewhere awoke my brokenness. And to hear and to be with him screaming, and his screaming was, yes, it couldn't be otherwise. He had lived 30 years with mum, and suddenly there's this breakage. So the only answer is the scream. I'm alone. Mum, where is she? The scream. The thing about the scream 
that can awaken our scream when we feel powerless, when we don't know what to do. In many cases, we don't know what to do. But the only thing that comes up is our anguish coming from a powerlessness, feeling of not knowing what to do. His anguish came from a terrible loneliness. My anguish came from probably much deeper, the primal or the initial wound that Lawrence talked about the other day. As a doctor said, I can give you, I could give Lucien medication, and that can stop his screaming. But if I do it, it's because of you assistance and not of him, because he needs to say his pain. He needs to cry his pain. But it's not fun. Sometimes when I read in the newspapers that the father of a very severely disabled man uh, killed his son, and there's a trial, and when I read something like that, I say, I understand. I'm in a community. We're together. We have a doctor. We have all this sort of thing. But there's so many parents who are alone, and they don't know what to do. The scream. Sometimes when the child has psychotic tendencies and so on, in our community, in uh, Ivory Coast, we found a child who was in a, a chicken coop because the parents couldn't stand him running around and all. Understand. But his anguish awoke my anguish. And anguish can lead to anger. Anger can lead to hatred, to violence. So we have to reflect on fear, but we have to reflect also on anguish. Where does the anguish come up? That feeling of who I am when we have lost, when we have no more, when we feel powerless. So, the whole mystery of anguish. So I can say that I've learned many things, and I would think that in Lash we all learn many things about ourselves, our powerlessness, and how quickly we can want to control situations. Yeah. So it's about learning the, the cracks. I can see, yes, I can see a a stock of violence in myself. 
just as I can see also in myself the need sometimes to run away because I'm frightened of my own violence. But yet it's important to know who we are. Somewhere we need a healing in our aggressivity. A human being is necessarily violent. Necessary. It's our defense mechanisms. We push people away. They are the enemy. Those are the bad ones. We are the good ones. Our country is the best. Our group is the best. Then we put the walls around. We know we're better than the others. The others are bad. So nobody wants to cross the road. Nobody wants to cross the road. The people on the rich side, they're lost. They don't know what to do. Those down in the slum areas, they don't want to cross the road. There might be police and military. So we build the inner barriers. What happened to Francis? He had built a barrier about lepers. They're devilish. They're no good. They're the scum. And then, somehow he was drawn towards them. Maybe the little inner voice. We talked about the inner voice this morning. That conscience. Mahatma Gandhi talks a lot about the inner voice. To listen to that inner voice, which is calling us to prayer. At a moment when we don't want it, we're too busy, we're too this. But the inner voice, that inner voice of God. There's a text in the book of Revelations where the Lord says, I stand at the door and I knock. If someone hears me and opens the door, I will enter and eat with that person and that person will eat with me. Listening to the Lord knocking at the door of our hearts. An awakening of conscience. A little voice calling me to prayer, to meditation, at a time when I'm stressful, whatever it is, and I don't want to, because I'm too busy, and I have this to do, and that to do, and all the rest. The inner voice. The call. The Lord hears the cry of the poor, but we have difficulty listening to the cry of the poor. Because it can bring up this sense of powerlessness. It can bring up angers. We all have a lot to learn about the metanoia of our aggressivity. to become conscious of, I want to be the best. I want my group to be the best. I want the lash to be the best. 
But then when the flaws start coming up and we see all that the brokenness and the unable things we're unable to do, we're upset or angry. Maybe the greatest um, crack is our need for humility. To realize, I can't do it. I need help. I'm broken. I'm broken not in the same way as the leper or as Pauline, but I have also. And some of the fears, we can clarify them. We can see where it comes from. But there are other fears, they seem to be coming from some deep down in the world of the unconscious, because as you know, for the first four years of our lives, or more, we don't have many memories. But what happened during those first four years of our lives? I was told the other day of a, a father who told me that his first child, uh, when the second child was born, the first child came up and started hitting him and saying, I hate you, I hate you. And he said, I saw in his eyes his anger. Maybe two years old, two and a half, three. An initial wound. That little boy had been the center of the family. And then comes number two without his advice. <laughs> My God, you know, who's that little kid there? He's taken my place. Jealousy. Deep down. Things happen during those first four years which we can't remember. I know my mother, when I was born, went into clinical depression. That can say something about who I am. And some of my brokenness or parts of the brokenness doesn't mean to say that if I was starting to live again with Lucia, I'm not cured. But at least I'm beginning to accept something. Lucia has his brokenness and I have my brokenness. And I need help to discover where our anguish point is. Anguish frequently is when we fear losing power, powerlessness. The extraordinary thing about Francis is that living with the lepers changed him. He had built up inner security, inner walls, 
and living with the lepers, he discovered their hearts. They must have told him how it happened the day that little white spot they were thrown out of the village. My children and my wife told me to go. And I suffered. Listen to the story. Listen to the story. And Francis, living with these men and women, discovered in some of them it's only God who can accept me. In society, nobody accepts me. But I believe in God and I believe he loves me. So maybe Francis learnt a lot from these lepers. And the fear that he had for them began crumbling and came up something new, a new gentleness. He began to understand that all those who've been humiliated, they have a story to tell. And tears to be hold on to. The weeping of those who've been pushed aside. And with the walls going down, maybe he discovered what Etty Hilsom told us about, that at the bottom of his well there is God. And the walls are part of the garbage we have to get rid of. So walls. But all this takes time. Takes time. We want things to move quickly, but it doesn't work like that. I spoke to you about Pauline, how over the years it took time for her little by little to discover that she was okay and that she was loved. But even then, as she got older and when her knees, her legs couldn't hold her body, the angers came up again. We're not always cured. We refine parts of ourselves that are still there. Healing is not complete. It'll be complete one day. That's when we go right down to the bottom and when we die and that's extraordinary to die. What a wonderful thing to discover that in that passage, which I believe that we fall into the arms of the lover who is God. Extraordinary. But waiting for that moment, we have to keep going down with all the loss and all that stuff. But come back to Pauline. Yes, creation of anguish because of her violence, creation of living with her, 
But then little by little, things begin to change. She loved singing old French songs, Parisian songs. I won't sing them because I can't. But also she loved to dance. She loved in, to be in the party. She didn't like work, like a lot of people. They don't like work. She didn't like work. And she wasn't terribly good. She's, as she had one arm that was paralyzed, it meant that there were a lot of things she could not do which others could do. And so. But then the extraordinary thing was that assistants begin to change. They came to do good. They look up on the internet and tuck, 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 they find this laugh and maybe they can do some good for those who are so on. And they come to do good. It's good to do good. It's always great to do good. But then to discover one's own wounds, my incapacity to listen, my incapacity to love, my defense mechanisms, my identity, my identity of somebody who wants to be good and strong and do what my parents would like and all that sort of stuff, to be, yeah, a winner, then to discover that there's a lot of barriers within me. And that's the whole story as we go into meditation. That's why we need the mantra to clear things a little bit and to get us focused on a movement towards that peace and that presence of God which is deepest within us. And it's a long road. A long road of fidelity. Because maybe the heart of everything it's about faithfulness. Faithfulness to love. Faithfulness in family, faithfulness with children, faithfulness in community. To keep on the road of growth, because that's what it's all about, to grow in love. And that's all what Lawrence showed us this yesterday afternoon, that growth in love. You know what Saint, how St. Paul defines love. He's great, St. Paul. He says, if you have all the knowledge of all science and all religious stuff, and you have no love, if you give all your money to the poor and you have no love, if you're doing it for honorability, nothing. If you give your body to the flames, and you have no love. And then he defines love. Love is to be patient. Patient. To be patient with Lucia. To live in community, to live in family is about patience. I know a lot about community, family, no. I'm not married. But what I hear is a lot of patience is needed to accept the other 
not as I want that person to be, but to allow the person to be yourself. I'm the one who has to change, not you. I have to change. Patience. I discover in myself impatience. In the old days, I used to travel a bit. You go on the plane or to stand in the queue, and somebody breaks the queue. Have you ever had that experience? And you're angry. It, it, it doesn't, you know, it's not going to stop me getting the plane, but somewhere, you know, that's not right. They've broken the queue. <laughs> Patience. Yeah. To be patient. To be patient to welcome Pauline just as she is. To be patient. It's not easy. To serve. These are the definitions that Paul gives in Corinthians, to serve. Not to be there thinking that, you know, you're the best. And it goes on. To bear all, to believe all, to hope all. Yeah. You listen to parents whose son has a disability and they're a bit lost. They don't know what to do. And there's no situation. In a community, you know, some people who come to be in Lash are super, but others, they come with, with their story and their, to accept the other as they are. Need a lot of patience. Not to idealize, but accept. Accept and maybe help in every way that we can to help people to, to grow. So as Francis was changed as he lived with the lepers, and his defense mechanism started to come down. So it is. And sometimes when I was a bit younger, I would follow assistants, which means that they'd come once a month and say how things are going. And it's not terribly interesting when they come and say everything's fine. Then a day comes and say, I can't stand it anymore. Oh, well, thank God. Now we're touching reality. You know, it's, being in Lash is not beautiful all the time. So when they say, I can't stand it anymore, ah, now we can talk before we're, we're up on the rainbow somewhere. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the pain. Maybe I can share about my pain. We are all broken people. And to discover that the crack is where the light will come. So a 
place to talk about the crack, a place to talk about my violence, a place to talk about my incapacity to accept certain people in certain situations. Let's talk about it. That's why it's helpful to be accompanied by someone who can listen to our pain, not always tell us what to do, but they say, I understand. To listen to the story. To listen to the story of my difficulty, maybe going into prayer. My struggle with the mantra, whatever it is. And to have someone to say, I understand. I understand. Not always to tell me what to do. But I understand. We're all on a road of growth. We need help. After Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, He told them that he'll be leaving them. And then he told them, and you will do the things I have done and even greater. And then he says, if you love me and you follow my commandments, I'll pray the Father and he will send you another paraclete to be with you always, the spirit of truth, the paraclete. When you look in the Bible, you find that paracletus is translated by defense, intercessor, helper, and all the rest. For me, the best translation is paracletus, but nobody knows what it means. In point of fact, it comes from two Greek words, parakaleo, and put together, para for kaleo, the cry, that parakletus, if you translate it etymologically, the one who answers the cry. Beautiful. The name of God, the one who answers our cry when we don't know what to do. We feel lost, feel lonely, anguish. The one who answers the cry, the second person of the Trinity, the one who hears my cry, the one, the name of God, so to discover the cracks, to discover the cry, to discover the anguish, to be able to name it without knowing always the initial wound, but to believe that on the journey, on that journey as we go into meditation, into the silence where there's a struggle maybe with the mantra, and we try to push away all the messy stuff 
as we try to get closer to the source at the bottom of the well, to be in the presence of God. But it's a long road. And in that long road, the, the word faith, fidelity, trust. To trust. To trust that what we are living, what you, some of us are living in the world, a community, it's a road of salvation, a road to growth, a road to holiness, a road where my barriers maybe will start crumbling a little bit, a road to discover the secret part of my being, that primal innocence, the little child. And Lawrence entered Brinkus, opened up that door to become like little children. Not wanting power, but allowing ourselves to be on a road. A road which maybe will take a long time, but it doesn't matter because we trust. We trust that, yes, we can go into periods of meditation and nothing seems to be uplifting, but we're there. And trust that this is a road to grow in love. And as Lawrence helped us, that as we pray together, we're not shut off from the world. We can hear the cry. We can maybe hear the cry of those we hate or that we're frightened of. Maybe bring them into that prayer. Maybe they're those that we're frightened of because they are terrorists or whatever it is, to bring them into the space of prayer and to discover little by little that we can be liberated through prayer. Just want to end with Francis. I began with Francis this afternoon. I want to end with Francis. Beautiful man. He was in, I think it was the Fourth Crusade at Damietta near Cairo. And there were the forces of the Crusaders whom Francis was upset about because there was a lot of drink and that sort of stuff. Then on the other side, there were the Muslims under the Sultan. And at one moment, Francis crossed the line. He was immediately arrested by Muslim soldiers and taken to the Sultan. And Francis spent two weeks with the Sultan. People have written all sorts of books to say why he went to the Sultan. He went to convert him, he went to this. And I think Francis didn't know. He listened to the inner voice. He had to cross the line. He didn't know what would happen. 
he was arrested, brought to the Sultan. Nobody quite knows what happened during those two weeks. All we know is that the Sultan gave him his sort of a pass to go through all the, the Muslim dominated and just let him go. Because he saw in Francis a man of God. And Francis saw in the Sultan a man of prayer. Five days, five times a, uh, a day. And he was touched by this. And they met. He didn't know why he went, but somewhere he felt called to go there. That's how barriers drop. From fear to a meeting. And a meeting where we discover the other is not devilish, a punishment from God, but also a human being. With their story, with their story, because we all have a story. And this mysterious plan of God, announced by Jesus for unity. And here we, in Lash, with our little way of trying to create unity with those who have been pushed aside, to be able to tell Pauline, you're part of the big human family, and you're my brother, you're my sister, and we're together. And it's the same as we come together to pray together. We're together with a hope. Yes, a utopia. That maybe one day the barriers will drop and Jesus can be our peace. Jesus, our peace. Who has brought the two into oneness and has broken down the dividing wall that separated us. So maybe we're all there just in that hope, that hope for peace. That well, the little things we can do daily, just little things, fidelity to prayer and to love, and fidelity inside of our large communities to be faithful, that in every little gesture of love, we're part of a whole part of humanity yearning to bring people together so that we may rejoice in communion one with another and have that hope that the utopia begins, becomes a hope of bringing people together in love.